Hello, and welcome to Read This Fucking Book, Episode 5, Fighting the Sun. I'm Elena. I'm Rachel. And today we are talking about Fighting the Sun by Tanith Lee. Um, This book was originally published as two novels. Uh, The first was called Don't Bite the Sun in 1976, and Drinking Sapphire Wine was in 1977. Um... They were not ever printed together until an omnibus got released in 1999, and I think I was like 16 then, and I found it at my bookstore, had no idea what it was, just picked it up, and it actually became kind of a formative book for me in the way I look at things. Um, Anyway, uh, I was kind of surprised to find how sort of disregarded it is when I went to research what it's about. Like, it doesn't have any awards. It's not one a lot of people talk about. I think a lot of people, like, critically think it's kind of silly. Um, so it's it's our first, like, old sci-fi book that's not a true classic. Uh, so anyway, I'm interested to know uh, what Rachel thought about it. Uh, first of all, though, um, can you tell me what it's about? I can try. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I'm going to... All right, well, there are four dome cities on a... Well, three dome cities on a desert planet that could is, could be Earth, could be not. Um, the cities are called 4B, 4Ba, and 4Boo. And in those cities, uh, men and women live in sort of two states, either a, a, like a permanent teenager kind of college person called a Jang, or they are considered an older person which is apparently someone in, like, their 30s. <laughs> and then <laughs> um, the, the, our story follows a Jang, and the Jang are, cons- are expected by society to be as impulsive and hedonistic and crazy as they possibly could be, and because they live in a domed city utopia where everything is provided for them, Uh, and run by these robots, uh, they can be as hedonistic and crazy and, and just kind of without purpose, just lazy pieces of shit, (laughs) um, (laughs) as they want to be like, and, and the biggest conceit is that no one can actually die. So there, you don't feel, you don't feel like you are running against time. You can you can be as lazy as you want for as long as you want. And if you get bored, you can kill yourself um, and start again. And you get to keep your memories and design a new body. And it can be basically whatever you want it to be. And our protagonist is super bored of this life, although I don't know if they know it in that way. Uh, but it seems to be a story about a realization that they are bored of a life without purpose and then the journey towards finding a life with purpose that's that was rambly i'm sorry <laughs> a, a little rambly but i think it actually conveys the essence of the book pretty well um so um i don't know i mean we can just jump in with the uh structure of where it is and what it is um that we sometimes like uh you mentioned the the dome cities um so the uh, anything else that we want to talk about mm-hmm. with the cities themselves? Um, I mean, certainly it's worth pointing out that it's in- extremely artificial. Um, everything is like synth food, synth fabric, yes. synth, you know, leather. The For the most part, the animals they have are androids, um, although they do have some trade in desert animals that they catch and then sell as pets. Um, anything else that you want to mention yeah, specifically about so the Yeah, so it's... It's kind of like what people joke that the, that they actually use the holodeck for in Star Trek, where it's like to be mm-hmm. as debauched as they possibly can to live the life that, it, like anything that you can imagine and half of it that you can't, um, but permanently. Uh, it's funny that it's, that it's actually a dome city and not what I would expect to be like a Matrix situation, like that it's, it's real enough that they can touch it. Uh, mm-hmm. But th- yeah, everything is fake. Yeah, and that, and that's actually probably worth pointing out that they do have structures within the city, with, like the dream rooms, where you can go and either have them create a dream sequence, or you essentially dictate the story that you want to live. Which I guess it's sort of like us having like going to a movie or something. But mm-hmm. it's 
definitely um and then there's like hypno rooms and there's sensory deprivation where you're just sort of like i guess floating and thinking but not aware of anything so they have ways Mm -hmm. to sort of disconnect you from the physical reality to kind of reinforce that no this is real like the whole world is not like a an illusion it's just fake yeah artificial synthetic i don't know synthetic the whatever the robots and you know the robots can think of because it doesn't so there i think it's kind of important we do spend the majority of the time with the jang and our main character who doesn't have a name uh is a jang and she's mostly a girl so i'm gonna probably use she to refer to her um but she she kind of goes around to all the yeah and she kind of goes around to all you know everything that there is to offer in these cities with her friends and you know like the the society is appropriately convoluted but also blasé uh you know what i would expect from people who live in this utopia well you know they there's that cliche where it's like the best creativity comes from um conflict or Mm -hmm. you know like they don't have any of that so they're just kind of like (laughs) mindless pleasure seekers like they do a lot of drugs so a lot of the stuff that they do is sensory based because they're Mm -hmm. enhanced by these drugs uh and then she kind of like comes out of those out of those states every once in a while, and then kind of freaks out because she's realizing like she has like this existential ennui that she can't shake. Yeah. Um, well, that's a um, kind of I don't, I don't, to me that's like the as, as you said it's kind of the point of the book is yeah like it is dealing with the question of why you exist if there if there is no purpose. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely got as much, um, in my opinion, as much DNA from philosophy as it does from like science fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. There's um, a lot of both like true existentialism, but also I guess, I guess nihilism as well, which is sort of the search for meaning. Um, in some ways, like the story, kind of reminds me of Groundhog Day because uh, I guess you you mentioned this, but you didn't really get into it. One of the things people do for fun is kill themselves. And so you have some people that like to do it the same way every time and some people that think of a different way every time. But it's one of their few sources of entertainment because it's actually you do get moments of genuine fear and pain um, when you suicide, at least if you do it in the right way. And so it's like the only source of the real for them. But then when you just like keep coming back into limbo and having to go go through it all again, it, it really has that sort of infinite regression feel where like if this is the only day you have how do you spend it and these right. people do not spend their day as well <laughs> as a teenager right and as a as like mm-hmm. a fully developed adult teenager with with yeah. adult feelings and and bodily needs but teenage ideas <laughs> yeah or, or maybe and maybe even like in some ways less than teenage emotional development in terms of oh, yeah. how they kind of deal with each other and deal with any sort of like denial of their want or anything it's it's almost more childish than real teenagers yeah i really least. like the idea of the groundhog day comparison because that is a movie that i never liked and it happens to be my boyfriend's favorite movie and <laughs> so i have seen it enough and heard his take on it enough that i do actually like the movie and appreciate it on a different level you know than Mm -hmm. I did before when I was just like, they just keep doing the same damn joke over and over again and I don't get it. And now, you know, now I understand the philosophical interpretation of the movie. And I like putting that lens on Biting the Sun because I struggled with this book, especially with the first half, because, Mm -hmm. like, I realized pretty much instantly that this was a story in which a person with no purpose is going to realize that they would like a purpose and then seek it. And I felt like this story took a long time to figure that out, but I'm I'm also appreciative of how Tanith Lee made me feel that same discontent. Mm-hmm. Like the, I lived in that as well with the character, and was very much like this is boring. Like yeah, mm-hmm. you just go from one cloud to the next and bone this guy and then bone that guy, or <laughs> change your sex or grow another head or like whatever you know whatever dumb thing you can think of to try to like make yourself feel entertained and alive Mm -hmm. um yeah well i mean this is 
the first paragraph of the book. And you can kind of see how blasé they are about all of this. My friend Hergel had killed himself again. This was the 40th time he had crashed his bird plane onto the Zephar monument and had to have a new body made. And when I went to visit him at Limbo, I was wandering around for ages before the robot found him for me. He was dark this time, about a foot taller, with very long hair and a mustache, all glittery gold fibers, and these silly wings growing out of his shoulders and ankles. And, I don't know, to me it's just, I, I love that opening of a book. Like, my friend killed yeah. himself again for the 40th time. <laughs> I'm fucking bored with this time. shit. Hergel, come on. <laughs> yeah. Her friends are interesting. I'm kind of like, why are they friends with her? That's like one of the questions that I kept asking myself. Because she's one of those. She's a taker, for sure. But mm-hmm. I think they're all takers. But she being, you know, our main character, I feel like takes a lot more than some of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can understand. Like, some of her friends are crappy. But she's just as crappy as the rest of them. And it's right. kind of like they're all just stuck with each other, and they all treat each other so terribly. Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's kind of the point because the the Jang all have this idea of like circles, and um, the only place I've ever seen something comparable is in American Psycho. When he, uh, I don't know if you know that story at all, but when he breaks up with Evelyn, and he's like, she's like, well, "Who gets our friends? You can keep them." <laughs> like it always reminds me of when the narrator like cuts herself out of her own circle. She's like, yes. "I don't want to talk to any of these fuckers <laughs> right now. What's the best way to do it? Cut them all out? No, just cut me out." <laughs> Done. Yeah, and I think I think it's important because like the the char- the main character, she so she starts out, you know, doing the things that Jang are supposed to do, like walking around half naked, like finding fun things to paste to her nipples, like having sex with someone weird or someone unexpected or like whatever. Like she does she starts out with like the normal pursuits and then when she runs out of normal pursuits, they do things like where they play pranks where they try to like break the dome or like fuck up a robot and that progresses more into well if you if you're in the matrix and you kind of realize you're in the matrix then it doesn't like playing with what the matrix offers you isn't fun anymore so you want to actually fuck with the programmers and so that's what she starts doing is she starts pushing the androids and these sort of weird unwritten rules that they that they abide by as far as she can and, and how much she can break for real well see right there you just explained why those people are friends with her because she's interesting she's yeah and and that that's kind of said subtly like several times throughout the story but she's one of the few sort of like genuinely original minds in this world like she actually does think about things she does see through some of the bullshit and she might i mean she definitely (laughs) she's a problematic character in terms of whether you would like her or not but you kind of respect her and yeah, like she, near the end, she says something like, she's like, I don't even know why you're here. I've always been crappy. <laughs> like right. she knows it. Yeah. She, I mean, she's certainly self-aware. And I mean, the, the, that sort of self-deprecation helps a little. But yeah, I, I mean, the to me, the biggest sort of why of, of the book is why her friend Hatta has this genuine like devotion to her. And like he actually does love her. Um, yeah. And it's it's not fake, and it's not um, and it's not based on any of like the superficiality of the world. It's 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 it seems pretty much like no, I actually really like you, your personality. Um, I don't know. You want to talk about Hada? So Hada, okay, Hada. I <laughs> I didn't. I Hada. I is that the nice, the eternal nice guy. He is. So he had. So the Hada story is like at one point in their past she did have sex with him, right? And he only got that one taste. Um, well, okay, she, it's, it's it's weird, like, what had happened before the story opens. Because, like, when the story yeah. opens, he's already doing the, I have, like, three... The grotesque stuff, yeah. Three heads and boils, and, oh, you should have sex with me because it's an important experience to have sex with somebody <laughs> that physically disgusts you. And, of course, she's like... Oh, not no, but hell no. And he sort of takes yeah. that and, and leaves and then comes back with his next one. Well, how about no? Still no, <laughs> asshole. Still no. Um, yeah, and so still then, gross. you know, in, in the course of, I guess, the first part of, of the book, which she spends female, maybe we should mention now that you don't, you're not bound to one gender or another with the bodies you select. So you can be female, suicide, come back as a male. Totally up to you. Um, it, it does talk about most personalities having like a 
preference for being female or preference for being male, but they kind of switch back and forth as they need to express other parts of their psyche, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the character, the main character is predominantly female. Hada is predominantly male, um, but a beta male for sure. For sure. Um, anyway, so he he's- does come. He he does come to her when he's in a beautiful body, and she fucks the shit out of him, and then he like cries afterward. And he's like, I don't know, just kind of wanders away, and she doesn't talk to him anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, well, he, I think he, yeah. I think so. Let's let's go back to this. I don't right that part of him I didn't like because I felt like he was trying to test her. Mm-hmm. In a really unhealthy and shitty way where he was like, yes. I love you. And rather than be something that you find attractive, I'm going to challenge you. And it's like you did, they didn't have the connection that would be that would that needed to be present for them to have, a, a you know, a, a non-physical relationship. You know what I mean? And like yeah. he, he was trying to push it. He was pushy. And I didn't yeah. like that about him. Well, and so he's like that eternal nice guy who's just like, I'm just going to hang around you until you give in. And that part. Mm-hmm. I'm like I I get you really love her she's interesting like but, but you're dude kind of get a, a life yeah. yeah yeah get a life <laughs> yeah. and I, he did get a life eventually it was just kind of off screen right because um, in the second part of the story the the narrator switches to a male body and he doesn't really spend much time with her after that although she's also not spending time with really any of her friends and then she gets um, exiled into the desert and. Um, ultimately, just to kind of discuss Hatta's arc to the end, he shows up uh, in a body that he knows she will find attractive and uh, basically doesn't tell her who it is, just sort of insinuates himself into Super the society. Super creepy. Yeah, he's not uh, stopping with the creepy. <laughs> he's a creep. <laughs> but she falls for it. And, so, you know, she's like, oh you really did mean it that you loved me because you came out here, you exiled yourself from society just to be with me. So that's true. I mean, he did make that ultimate sacrifice, but again, he was rewarded for a sacrifice that she didn't ask him to make. It was never, she was never testing him. Like she was always really honest. She's always like, he would come up to her with his foreheads or his like balloon body and be like, let's have sex. And she'd be like, no, come back tomorrow when you don't look like that. And I will. Exactly. And the thing is, like, I, I know he, he he kind of in his head translated it to her being very superficial, but he never yeah. once, like, tried the whole, well, let me come back as somebody who's, like, maybe not attractive, but not repulsive. You know, because there is a middle ground there. Like, yeah. you don't have to, like, it's not like everybody is either a one or a ten. Like, you can be a five, you can be a six. That's not the dude His preoccupation the looks, with being you know? a gremlin is more about him yes. and less about her. Like, yes. At one point, he has three legs. It's like, what is he doing? Yes. (laughs) And and I I actually felt it was very unfair to her that that's, like, that he was, like, basically implying she's super superficial for that. Because, again, there's a middle ground. Like, you can be like, yeah, I'm, you may not be the hottest guy I've ever seen, but I'm not repulsed by you. Oh, you have a great personality? Let's bang. Like, that's right. But there's also, like, the there's also that, that wall where it's, like, you're in a bar and a guy comes up to you and he's trying to chat you up and you're just, like, dude stop you're never it's never gonna happen there's nothing about you that i find attractive and they just need to like realize that he doesn't need to Mm -hmm. keep coming until i'm suddenly less shallow and can see the guy underneath it's like screw that right (laughs) (laughs) and 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 in a way it is a shame because like actually over the course of the story you see him showing up for her as a friend like he's the one that's there to kind of help her pick up the pieces and to support her and like to actually be but i questioned his motivation every time he showed up (laughs) every time and maybe i didn't because i i actually took it as uh you know what i will say this the first when i when i first read it I didn't like him. And even at the end, I didn't know what I thought about him showing up like that and being the one she falls for, the one who gets her. Mm-hmm. On a reread and maybe being like 20 years older, I was like, oh, wow, he actually is a really solid guy. Like he's he's responsible. He shows up. He keeps his word. He, you know, has all these like qualities that I appreciate at my age now. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I did, so I didn't take those interactions as being creepy. I thought them that they were based on him genuinely like being her friend and concerned for her. Because I think at that point, like, especially, like, with her trial where he's one of the ones standing beside her 
there like mm-hmm. he knew he wasn't getting anything out of that like she'd rejected him for four years straight and but he was still there for her and i i didn't right. think at that point that it, it was about trying to get her it was he's more ducky just he's ducky yeah <laughs> he's... <laughs> he's ducky <laughs> you know it's like everybody kind of wanted them to hook up at the end of uh what a pretty in pink but it didn't it just never happened because it wasn't <laughs> realistic. But the uh, so to talk about the end, I was kind of like, all right, fine, like whatever. She got what she deserved. Like he he tricked her. He like <laughs> <laughs> he tricked her. She thought he was her other friend Hergel, who was also nauseating and like <laughs> never cared about her. But for whatever reason, she was into him, and. And then he gets, like, horribly burned. When he got horribly burned was when I, like, grimaced at the book. I was like, come on, book. (laughs) Like, he's beautiful. He relented. He made himself beautiful. He finally gets with her. And then, to prove she's not shallow, in case we were still worried about it, (laughs) he gets horribly maimed, and she's still into him. And that that part, I was like, dude, I believe that she's not shallow at this point because she's gone through a whole lot of stuff on her own without him. And then he yeah. literally rides up on a dragon. And like, yeah. I don't know. The ending and, is and, weird. And whether and whether she fell for him because he was he was in her last male body or because he was literally the only fuckable dude in her universe at that point doesn't really yeah. matter. Like it doesn't. It's kind he of. He was like, there. She was into it. I, it was fine. Not if you were the last man on earth kind of thing. But then like actually okay. I don't know. Poor... I, I feel like he got a raw deal. Like, I feel like he hitched himself to to a horse that would never make him truly happy. But he seems fine. He gets well, to be grotesque, which seems to be his thing. Okay, but actually, let, let, let I, I do want to talk about his therapy, though, that he does. Because basically, when she gets... When she got exiled, he, he went and spent a year as, like, a beautiful woman, like, getting, quote, married aka free license to fuck for like with multiple men a day mm-hmm. and it was sort of like um learning i guess what she needed or like more about her perspective so actually genuinely trying to like empathize with where she was versus how he had always approached her so one thing you mean, i mean like realizing that women are people too uh yes maybe maybe that's it um, <laughs> yeah but would he have would he have ever actually taken that step to do that if it hadn't kind of been now or never life or death sort of stakes or would he always have just existed in this perpetual like well i'm going to keep pushing but never in a way that she might actually say yes to you know right so yeah he always sabotaged himself on purpose because he couldn't Mm -hmm. take the rejection if it was real Right. So he would become disgusting and then proposition her knowing that she would say no because she very clearly set her limits. <laughs> like, right. Hada and me, we are not, I'm not on that train. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I didn't want her to be alone and, and sexually unfulfilled. Like, that part sucks. But I was like, <laughs> when that dragon showed up, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I know it's Hada. Okay. Did you know who it was when he showed up? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Cause I, I actually Especially because, like, within, like, two pages of him showing up, like, the robot is like, he could be anybody. He could, he could be someone you know. And I was like, oh, God, it's Hada. <laughs> <laughs> and see, by, by that point, like, I, I, he'd fallen off my radar, so, like, so completely on my first read. It was a surprise. But, oh, it's Hada? Really? Huh. Didn't see that coming. I thought he just went away forever. Like, she asked him to. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Respecting her wishes. All this book does is teach men that you should not listen to us when we say no. Okay? That's... Yeah, that's, that's kind of problematic. Problematic. <laughs> problematic fave is what you're telling me. He's your problematic fave. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so so anyway, him, him switching genders to go, like, explore what it meant to be a, a woman in a society is actually um, a, a good segue to to this like what did, what did you think about the fact that when people switched um genders between bodies like the personality kind of changed but and i don't know and, and how that affected their sexuality yeah so i wrote this in the notes i i'm gonna be super honest i had a really hard time with this part of the book um i had to t- keep telling myself that this is a 
new wave feminist sci-fi, right? So they're they're reacting against the kind of uh, male gazy pulp sci-fi of the fifties uh, by trying to reorient stories from a different perspective, and in this case, the feminine kind of mystique perspective. So. From that point of view, I liked that she acknowledged that ev not everyone is completely male or female. Like, the characters mm -hmm. themselves are saying, like, I'm 60%, you know, male or I'm 80% female, you know, like, they say that. So I like that she acknowledged that there is more of a gender swing and less of a gender binary. What mm -hmm. I had a problem with was her weird obsession with the heteronormativity. Like, it was... And it happened every time because it was annoying. So I, I saw it every time that she was really clear about the fact that like if you walked into a room and there was a hot chick in there that you wanted to bang and you were a girl too, it was like, oh, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, you know, be right back. I'm going to go change into a dude. And, yep. <laughs> and then at the very end, she kind of just throws in a couple lesbians, but that, but the lesbians, it's like they're trapped like that, and one of them is predominantly male anyway, so it's kind of like a, eh, here's some lesbians, but they're really a hetero Kind of, sort of, but not really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I had a really hard time with that. Um, because she spent so much energy and, like, point, like, very pointedly telling us, look, everyone can change genders, but nobody's doing any gay sex, don't worry. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. it bothered I know, me. <laughs> like, it, it, it and and I kind of wonder um, whether that was her or if there was some sort of like editorial like breaks put on that like mm -hmm. eh, you're being a really like you're pushing it a little too far here. I mean like look, we, I want I want to have titties too, but like can you make anyone with titties banging dudes? Come on, <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I don't know. Like was it was it her I... sort of blinders or was it like did somebody like in the publishing house say yeah no we need to that's too far <laughs> yeah it is really weird I mean I feel like especially in the second half I picked up on this whole like woman as arc woman as as the complete because there's this whole thing where the character where she when she's trying to find purpose one of the ideas that she gets is well I'll have a child and you know having a child is is, is like you know two people go to a lab and they're like, okay, make us, a, uh, make us a kid. But she can't find anyone to make that commitment with her because she's a Jang and she's not older. So nobody can make commitments at all in her social circle. So she tricks the robots. So she goes as a woman and has like her eggs taken or whatever. And then she goes, or her DNA, I think, I don't even think it's eggs. And then she really goes say. later. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes later as a man and she's like, great, now I have a kid, and they don't know the difference, but it ends up not the, the – whatever the process is doesn't work if it if the donors are from uh, – are the same person on for, for both halves or however they described it. So there is this kind of overarching thing where it's like, well, she needs to be – uh, she needs to be a parent in order to feel complete, which is, it's, you know, I think it's nice because they clearly have in, in, in a culture where everyone lives forever. The, 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 the reproduction thing is like maybe a selfish act. Cause like the parents kind of like mm -hmm. fuck off all the time. It's like your kid gets like old enough to like eat on its own. And then you're kind of like, all right, that's cool. I don't care yeah. anymore. That was We're fun. We're going to send it to hypno school and the robots will take it from there. And yeah, it's like they do it. it maybe yeah. It's like they do it just to have like a new experience, but yeah. At the end, I felt like, cause there was that other character where it was suddenly like, I don't even know what the trope is called, but it's just like that whole idea where it's like, I have a womb and I must use it. And like, <laughs> I got a little like, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, I feel like Tanith Lee has an agenda. And I feel like her agenda is we should be better parents. We are raising a bunch of hedonistic hippies that are going to invent computers that will turn us into mewling idiots. Like, it just felt, <laughs> it felt like there was an agenda, which is weird. I'm like, okay, so Tanith Lee is a sci-fi fantasy author. Actually, who, she writes a lot of horror, apparently. A lot of, okay, a horror. Like, but, you know, like, I don't know too much about her, but I did Wikipedia her, and she comes up under new wave feminism and stuff. I'm like, okay, so you're like a forward thinker in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I don't think she likes computers very much. <laughs> like, yeah, she seems to be a salt of the earth. We should go outside more. 
pro camping kind of lady. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, um, I mean, I'm a solid I, New Yorker. I like inside. I would be very happy in the domes. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you that. Well, you know, it's, it, it is, um, it is interesting to me, like reading this because like, I, like when you read something contemporarily written, you can, yeah. you can, it's really easy for you to tell, um, if somebody's making a commentary direct or oblique on like a current situation and it's not so easy to tell when you're looking back 40 years at something and you're like, well, okay. Was she like making comments on the drug culture of like the late sixties, early seventies with all of this? Yeah. You know, is she making a comment on like the seventies latchkey kids once moms started going to work and suddenly like nobody's at home with the kids? Yeah, like the prevalence of divorce or like yeah, it feels like there's like like an anxiety about like changing society. And and is it? But is it a genuine anxiety or is she simply like taking these things that she sees and then pushing them to like? putting him in a, in a blender and pushing him to extremes in a way that like, isn't based on anxiety, but simply, Oh, that's a really interesting idea. Like, I don't yeah. know. Uh, but- I can see a lens of that. I can see this being like, well, look, you know, I took this whole like gay panic and like women are working now panic kind of like idea mm-hmm. that we're going to forget how to be mothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like push it to the point where you're in a society where that's not a thing. And mm-hmm. then still prove that people are people and they still have the same desires that we have now. Like, I can see right. that lens for sure. Yeah. So it, it, it's one of those things. It's, it's hard for me. I mean, to me, like, the, the part that feels much more critical um, would be the drug aspect. <laughs> like, people just, like, yeah, they just you know, like, laying around. Want to like, do some more ecstasy? ecstasy yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how are these people getting anything done? But like, that's the point. They don't like their their entire like raison d'être, however you say it in French, is like yeah. to not do anything. It's to like be little sybarites and have mm-hmm. have sex and like take drugs and shock people. Except, how do you shock people when like like the ante is so high at what's actually shocking? Like, so, so for her to do what she does, which is to reject society completely and say, "I'm gonna go live out in the desert." And then, like, I'm going to have a baby with my actual body instead of your fucking test tubes. Like, that is truly shocking. You know, it's the first shocking thing that's happened. No, second shocking thing that's happened. Because I guess we should, now's a good time to talk about what actually gets her exiled. Yeah. Is that she has a duel with one of her friends and actually kills him. And he's not, it's not a permanent death. You know, the limbo bots are there the same way they are after a suicide. He gets like scraped up and brought back to uh, have a new body made, etc. It's just fine. Mm-hmm. But basically the, the robots that run their society say this is absolutely unacceptable because if we let one person get away with it, then suddenly everything that we've eliminated by creating this society, which is, you know, sort of, uh, violence and anger and all these all, all these ugly things in the world that like destroyed humanity before we built this fake society. Yeah, it's hard to be um, violent when you just have a lot of ecstasy like, and sex. I'm you fine. know, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, if anybody was going to go violent, wouldn't it have been someone like Hada who can't get any? Yeah. Well, that's that was weird. It was he was weirdly emasculated, like. I just, I can't, I don't know about Hatta. I just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he's a weird, he was, he he's was like, weird. He was like 51% male. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just barely over that line. <laughs> yeah, like in terms of, it's weird. See, that's that's when I get confused. Because as soon as I'm like, okay, I feel like I have a bead on Tannis Lee. I feel like she's trying to, you know like a cautionary tale against like, you know, rejecting some of the things that we know to be basic human tenets of like, you know, parenthood, survival, creation, you know, pride in work, that kind of thing. She's like, don't, you know, remember that stuff because when we lose it, we lose ourselves. But then I feel like the virile man kind of goes with that. But then her, our hero's man is this kind of, 
I don't want to say beta because it's like a weird MRA Reddit thing, but he is. He's just like a, a he's he's like he doesn't exist unless she's looking at him. Like I just yeah. I don't know. Um. Well, the uh, the romance community actually uses beta in a, in a much more positive way. Um, I think than it is often used, especially <laughs> if you're talking about like 4chan people. Yeah, um, yeah. They'll, they'll talk about beta males as like absolute panty waste that you know right. can't actually like get anything done for himself. Whereas in, in the romance community, basically a beta male is the guy that actually um, he he doesn't have to learn how to respect a woman. Like he actually like knows and maybe he's not aggressive and maybe he's not um like super macho but they're they're not shown as weak men it's more um it's often just like a lot of introverted men or um more emotionally sensitive but also like who are willing to be aware of that instead of like lock it in a corner and like never acknowledge it at all Mm -hmm. so basically like you know the polite emotionally competent um not aggressive but also like if you punch him he is going to punch back like that's how beta tends to be used in like the romance world and so you know he's a little bit of a pushover but there are times when he does like actually put his foot down or step up so i don't i don't see him as a complete like well i mean it is a difficult it's a difficult thing to show yeah to, to show us that because you're their bodies could look any way they want. So being muscular or tall or, you know, active, that doesn't mean anything. And right. it's not like they do work or or right. fight or, like, they don't there, do any of those there's things. There's no place for him to get those rough hands. Exactly. The <laughs> rough hands. He doesn't have rough hands. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because she, uh, she actually talks about that with some of the characters, how, what, like, which side of their personality is aggressive will change. And so some of them, like Clee, I think is one of the women that she's very aggressive as a woman. And as a man, she's very passive. And I, I find that, you know, pretty interesting that like versus the one she got into a fight with, like Zerk or whatever his name is, whereas a dude, yeah. he's like all like, you know, seven feet tall, like biceps as big as my thigh kind of dude. But then when he's a girl, he's like five foot nothing and pink and like giggles at everything. Like, hee hee hee. But I feel, like, I don't know if that was his tendency, if he was just trying to, like, be be more sympathetic in front of the the well, panel when they were all... Okay, that that's that's true. It might have been a ploy, but but still, like, as... Like, she, you know, look at that man, he... Because he, she was a pretty pathetic-looking dude, too. Like, she made a big deal <laughs> over the fact that she, her male body was, like, this, this like, wasting away poet. A consumptive kind of. poet. <laughs> consumptive poet, yes. Yeah, so... You know, that was the victor in the fight against Goliath. So I feel like he showed up as that tiny little girl so that he could be like, look, right. look she beat me, she killed me. <laughs> Instead of being like, she killed me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it was calculated, but that doesn't mean he, like they're, regardless of whether it's that character, I think the point is like there would be people that kind of hyper genderized themselves and then other people who inverted it um yeah like i feel it like is the still was, it is weird probably... though because go ahead sorry oh I was, I was gonna say like i feel like the heroine was more aggressive as a female than a male but yeah she did kind of like mourn her male body when she was like well if i'm going out into the into the desert and i don't get to change anymore i need to go back to female because i'm most comfortable that way um mm-hmm. but it wasn't but she I'm didn't not... really feel ready to do that yeah. Uh, but it, again, this is a world where, you know, no one is bisexual, no one is transgender, no one is a, you know, agender or asexual or like, they're just, yeah. they just flip between like hot dudes and hot girls and, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. You'd think that um, I, if they were going to be super debauched, that they'd get a little bit more debauched, but no. Nope. Right, that there would be actual orgies and, you know. Yeah, no, there are and, no orgies. Like, you still got to get married. Free sex and, weird. you know. Well, I guess that's what you do when you're an older person, uh, because doesn't she walk in on her makers, like, having an orgy? So I guess when mm-hmm. you're Jang, you're just like, 
supposed to fuck it out in the most heteronormative terms possible. And so that then when you're ready to graduate to an older person, that's when you start like pushing the boundaries and like, okay, well, yeah. What about like multiple, multiple partners? What about sex without marriage? What about, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's when you well, try other holes. I don't know. She's, <laughs> like, yeah. She's got that one friend who really wants to be a cat. Yeah. And like <laughs> that Santa. for whatever, for whatever reason, being a cat is not acceptable. Like, you can be a balloon, you can be, you know, you can be a slug. You can have three heads. You can have three heads, but you can't can't be a a cat. cat. (laughs) I think the best moment of the book for me on the reread was her talking about, like, having love with uh, Thinta when she was, when she, as a dude, the heroine's having love with Thinta, and she's like, and then I realized it wasn't Thinta clawing my back, it was three of her cats. God, like, <laughs> crazy cat ladies, even in fucking four B, just that. <laughs> that stereotype will never die. Finta. She just really wants to be a cat. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like trying to get them to make her her next body as furry as possible, and they're like, "No, we're not." It, and I think I, I wrote this in the doc. It seems like because Hada can be so like she calls him like a scarlet balloon or something like. <laughs> Like, because Hada clearly can build super grotesque, gross bodies, then it must, the directive that the robots were programmed with must have been, like, they cannot make themselves look like animals. What is an animal? Here are all the animals. And, like, a cat is an animal that they had a definition for. So I assume the same thing would happen if she wanted to be a giraffe or a koala or something. But Hata never wanted, he never tried to design anything like that. He was just like, I'm just going to be a person with three heads and three arms and four, you know, and they were like, uh, okay, I guess that's, so he was kind of fucking with the robots just as much. Mm -hmm. Although every, I mean, I'm sure he had a fight with them every time he built an, uh, like everybody must have been a victory, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, actually, um, or or maybe he kind of broke them because one one of my other favorite things is the way um, once she's exiled into the desert, she starts kind of having a fight with one of the robots that she talks to, and um, oh, randomly flip to the page, just like looking. So, um, so I'll go ahead and and read the yeah. uh, the the thing. Um, so let's see I was totally ready to cry being as I said sentimental and a floop just then the monitor beam signaled to me a rare occurrence so I packed away my emotion and went to investigate I had corrupted I had corrupted the computer too so much was obvious it said only two words but with such triumph almost obscenely thigh bones So this goes back to she was in an argument with she was in an argument with the computer because she's out in the desert and she she's landed her her ship and you know it's kind of like it the the trope I think if you look it up is called um sufficiently advanced technology where it's like I'm not going to explain to you how the technology works and we're not going to even like not even going to try but mm-hmm. just trust that it is sufficiently advanced enough that it will not get in my way of my storytelling so when she takes this person who is a nothing who can bear who is just an ecstasy addicted you know long-waisted little nymph girl and drops her in the desert she should die but she doesn't because she has this spaceship that provides her with drugs and food and you know clothing and does her hair for her it's very beauty and the beast (laughs) and so like she realizes that she's like well i can live like this but i want to make a, a garden so she's trying to get all these resources sent to her that she doesn't necessarily need but she's trying to convince them that she needs them so she at one point is talking about her health and she's like what if i break my thigh bones i could break my femurs and they're like femur what the fuck is a femur because the the robots don't know what they don't know and they don't need to fix femurs because nobody ever gets a broken femur because their bodies are all perfect right (laughs) and if they and if they kill themselves and break their femurs they get a new body anyway so they're not like fixing the old bodies so yeah, it takes her a while of arguing with this robot, and he finally, I guess, looks up what a femur is. Yeah, and, and like, it's like calls it's her like back. The, 
thir- third or fourth exchange, like he'll, he'll yeah. say something. He'll ask. He'll make a guess about what a femur is, and she's like, "Nope." <laughs> and so, he's, <laughs> like, he's it, it's like a. I don't know. It's just I, that moment, like what you were saying about how to like call it. Probably like at some point the robots just like stopped fighting with him, and it just became like a matter of amusement to them. Like, what is he going to do next? Yeah, because clearly yeah. the robots are like they are able to remember the people that they interact with, and because she has she has another experience with a different robot where she goes to see him several times, and then he starts like hiding from her, and she's like, "Oh, he hates me." <laughs> Mm-hmm. So they do. Yeah, well, have... she's pushing them because they clearly yeah. there's things that they are allowed to do, and then there's some things that probably fall within like a variance level that it's acceptable. But the variance right. isn't the percentage of the variance that she inspires. So she's weird, right? And they put up with her until she inspires everyone else to start right. pushing the limits as well, and then she becomes a problem, which is why they decide to exile her. Yes. Um. So one one of the things that. I wanted to sort of know your opinion on um, has to do with the robots because there's a point um, at the end of the story after they've tried to sabotage her garden and, you know, kill her and the other people that have Uh, defected. Oh, yes, the murder bots. And they, they, like, she's, I mean, it is the narrator's supposition, but it's the sort of thing I don't think the author would have put in there if she didn't maybe think it was a possibility um, or intend you to assume that the narrator's right but she talks about the um you know do these robots are they jealous of us because we're not human do they actually have a grudge against us that they can't um you know live the way we live and i I actually didn't like that um i don't like it either at least not that that interpretation of it because if they are like it's multiple times throughout the story she basically says these androids are functionally, essentially, the same as people. They just don't have a life spark, right? They don't have right. souls. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I mean, you know, we have multiple instances of these of these non-life spark having entities being, like, good people. Like the swan, a little mm-hmm. broken, a little, mm-hmm. you know, a little crappy as a swan, but still concerned about her people. You know, yep. she runs and tries to get them help. Multiple times uh, she's she saved multiple times. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then, you know, there's an, oh, her bee. She gets rid of her bee eventually, but she likes her bee. She never gets her bee um, fixed in the first, in the first mm-hmm. half because she likes that it, it breaks because it's, it's interesting. Yep. Um, but, so I'm not, I, I think it's more of them like being enslaved and not getting, treated like people and having people mess with them all the time and having to clean up after all of these, you know, adult babies, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's like frustration where it's like, you know, like, you know, I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm working really hard to make your life as easy and wonderful and ecstasy filled as possible. And you're still, you know, being a shitty to me and you <laughs> suck. So get out and break your shit. Like, well, see the, the- the funny thing is, if that's what's driving it, the robots are actually happier than the people, even though they might be on the surface more miserable because they have a reason to exist. Yeah. Like, they have a purpose and the people don't. But, like, I. Well, not if all the people leave. Well, okay. Oh, they well, that's very true. They losing their purpose. They might be fighting the loss of their purpose. Yeah. And see, that makes more sense to me than, than any sort of, you know, like jealousy. But I, I actually disliked the thought of, of the robots being malevolent simply. Um, because like beyond in a, in a way that's beyond their programming, just because I, personally I find it much more like creepy and horrifying to live completely oppressed by like rules and a system that is so rigid, like there isn't any flexibility. Whereas if they're interpreting rules based on like their emotional like whim, that system is is more flexible and therefore less stifling. Mm-hmm. And so I I think. I think it kind of undercuts some of the horror of the system itself if um, if the AI was making emotion-based decisions. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. Like, I like this, yeah, I don't, the jealous, I mean, we talked about this when we were talking about ancillary justice. It's like the whole, like, AI that wants to be human thing. I know that it's a trope, but I'm tired of it. And I know that this book is from <laughs> the 70s and it wouldn't have been, 
necessarily tired by then, but I don't care. I'm still tired of it. So let's, let's reject it. I think we can do that. Yeah. I, I, I like if, if it's going to be written in that they're making emotion-based decisions, it's because they don't want to lose their purpose. Exactly. And that, that to me is a much less plot hole filled motivation for all these various robots. <laughs> right. Which, you know, like why the robots that go out with her to the desert even bother to help her, even though she's kind of like badly reprogramming them. And I think her idea of reprogramming is just shouting at them over and over again until they like <laughs> do what she says. Because <laughs> like, I don't see her, like, I don't see her actually reprogramming anything. Like, <laughs> right. She's probably just like, dig a hole, dig a hole, just dig the hole, dig that hole. And then it finally is like, okay, I'm going to dig a hole. And it's like, yes. <laughs> She's like, now you are a hole digging robot. And it's like, well, if I don't help her make this garden, she's probably going to break me or send me away or put me in a closet. So sure, I am. And she gave them names. Like she treated them, I think, more like people and less like robots because she talked to them and mm-hmm. do you have did you so again i had a really i i didn't near the end of it is when i started kind of not having to look up every single slang term every single time Mm -hmm. um but i really i i mean i like floop (laughs) that one's a good one um but they don't, they use Darazan and uh, Drumdick a lot. But Floop mm-hmm. is just the dumbest one. And it's also, uh, it, it's a, the translation in the glossary, it says it means cunt. So <laughs> I just, I just like that it's such like a dumb word and it means something so mean. Mm-hmm. Which is like Floop. <laughs> and Uma, they say Uma a lot. Yes. Um, via i don't know, um i i enjoyed the uh the slang especially especially this time because even though i haven't touched this book since high school like i glanced at the glossary once and was like i had it i, I was I, I wasn't having to look things up it just like that uh-huh i guess that that linguistic like voice had locked into my head a long time ago um it um uh, i don't know i it, de- it definitely had like the clockwork orange kind of influence. Cause that was one of the, the big things that Anthony Burgess did with that book was he had, you know, slang for this subculture and it was very right. intentionally used to sort of show these are not like the mainstream culture. This is not the culture of our earth. Now it's a different earth in the future and this and that. Um, but I, I don't have enough familiarity with like science fiction from this time to know if like everybody was kind of doing it or if it was still sort of weird, but I enjoyed the uh, the slang. I don't know, just kind of. It, it's it's just a it's a different. I mean, not different like nobody's done it, but it's just because every time somebody does it, it's unique to the world. Um, mm-hmm. Just a, a way to sort of set it and like reinforce this is not our society. This is its own thing. Yeah, well, they do it to even set themselves apart from the from the older people. Which mm-hmm. can you imagine being an older person in the dome cities and just trying to like. <laughs> I mean, like, I get that they were, you know, had their own pursuits. Like, we're, you know, we're not talking about, mm-hmm. like, business people. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're talking about just older, more sensible pleasure seekers who may or may not have a job where they hit a button every once in a while to feel some kind of pride in themselves. But, like, I just can't imagine. Like, you're just trying to, like, get to work and, like, 50 people are suiciding in front of you or just, like, laying in the street or, like, you know? Like, you're trying to, like, buy a suit and there's, like, some naked chick who's just, like, oh, what rhinestone shall I pin here? And it's, like, I they must. <laughs> yeah. There's very, it's, you know what it is? It's like, if you have, if let's say you have 30 minutes at lunch and you're like, I have just enough time to take the train, two stops to Soho. And I just need to (laughs) run into this one place and get like this notebook because I want to buy it for, you know, like Christmas or something. But Mm -hmm. to get there, it's like, you got to get through all the dickheads (laughs) who don't have a job who are wandering around in Soho at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Like that, I felt it, you know, like I felt it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like you're just 
salmoning through these people like why where why are you here why don't you have a job what are you wearing what is that why do you need that like oh, oh come on rachel don't be such a thaw drop <laughs> yeah there isn't is there even a slang for i'm sorry i think that's probably on purpose no um because none of them ever apologized for anything oh, um yeah. Nope. nope. They just say, <laughs> nope. Ah, oh, well. Uh, but yeah, uh, anything else that you want to talk about about this book? Let's see. Um, well, I think, uh, I think the only other question I had for you is ultimately, like, whether you consider this a silly book or a serious book. Because I, I just, I, because of the context in which I read it, it never occurred to me that it the people might find it ridiculous. <laughs> so, and, and because I have that prior relationship, I have no contact. So I have to know, like, should I, should I be embarrassed about recommending it? It's, I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny because like, I don't know, it was like two days ago and I hadn't said anything to you and you like texted me and you were like, are you silent because you hate it? Or are you silent? Cause you're not done. <laughs> I'm just like, like, does this mean that she's rereading it? You know, through the haze of like the last time she reread it, which I assumed was probably when you were in like high school and being like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, but, I, I, I read the whole thing with like a huge fucking smile. I was like, oh, I love this fucking book. It's so funny. And then like, I like, what am I making her read? I was like, Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> Do I have no taste? <laughs> no, I think, I think it's definitely for me a book that has more meaning because I can discuss it with you. Um, I felt like it could have been shorter for the message that it was giving me. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I do I do acknowledge that Tanith Lee's prose style is, while not m- maybe not extremely accessible, is really worthy of your time. Mm-hmm. Because it is very rich and very evocative and really matches the tone and and subject matter in a way that, it's it's just really appropriate how yeah. it is it's flowery but in a really like visceral visual way yeah, um, like I, I would say for as little kind of happens in the story she doesn't waste a lot of words getting there like it's not it's not like stephen king where you have like endless like fonts of words ex- like describing something she just has a whole lot of like and then <gasps> nothing happened kind of moments (laughs) that she describes yeah well i think that's it's you know it's all about trying to get us to feel her frustration with her own existence (laughs) exactly (laughs) and to that point like it's it's masterfully done um Mm -hmm. yeah because i mean i think it's maybe like halfway through the first book where she starts like going on her quest for for meaning and so she like goes out on a desert archaeology expedition and she goes and like visits for you know explores a new city and all this and then starts thinking about making a child and so like it's all these things that she suddenly starts trying but like so it's maybe a hundred pages into the book maybe not even that and you're already like oh my god please something happened (laughs) besides somebody like fucking suiciding and taking more drugs and like had a coming by with three heads like come on something happened yeah oh my god I mean, at the end, it's just like, I'm so glad he relented and got pretty. Because it's like, dude, you're just torturing yourself. Like, she told you. She told you you'd get some if you just weren't ugly. Like, yeah. <laughs> simple request. <laughs> Completely doable. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm going to call dudes that now. That's going to be a thing. <laughs> like, that, that right there is a hada. <laughs> It'll uh, it'll it'll be some interesting insider uh, insider slang for you and me and anyone in our circle who listens to this podcast. Ooh, our circle! Is on, <laughs> if we can manage not to get cut out of the circle, <laughs> I, I pro- cutting I herself promise. out of her own circle that was pretty fucking funny. She's like, <laughs> "Oh, I know how to get rid of them all. I cut myself out." <laughs> Um, but no, I don't think that you should be embarrassed. I think this is a really, um, it's definitely, it's definitely a book of its time. I, uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. 
Yes, but it's not as if I'm not going to also ask you to read books that are very in their own time as well. So. <laughs> and honestly, the outfits that some of them wear, I mean, hey. I'd wear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're old now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're old people, so we can only like look approvingly at the, uh, at the Jang who actually wear yes. things like that. That's exactly what you should be doing when you're young and tight and flashy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, what are we? I, I, so, I think we're usually. I would then recommend. Oh, I the next one we are doing. I did recommend. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so my tell revenge. Me what I'm next. <laughs> so my revenge is to make you read trash. <laughs> oh. Yes. So think of this as a dream sequence that the main character of Biting the Sun would program for herself. Okay. <laughs> in one of in one of her one of her, you know, sessions. Okay, so so she's going to be heartbreakingly beautiful and dashingly brave and yes. fighting against all odds for the uh-huh. life and hand of some swooning hero. Yes? Yes. Yes, I mean maybe more than one spooning hero. Ooh, um, even better. How very jang yeah, of me. So, uh, how very jang. So at this no, point, how we very have un-jang, read... how very older person of me too at oh, once. Oh yeah, mm, older. Person. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, oh god, I'm so sorry. All right. So at this point, we have read five, you know, very respectable books. Uh, so it's time to. It's time to read something. It's time for the bait and switch, is what you're saying. Yep. <laughs> time for that bait and switch. So instead of read this fucking book, it's read this fucking book. Because it's a it's romance. It's a fucking book? Yeah. It's a fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're reading uh, The Arcana Chronicles. And I don't even know who read who who are they from who are they uh, Cressley Cole, which is hilarious. Cressley Cole, because I've read some of Cressley Cole's like not YA romance. You want to talk about fucking books? Uh, <laughs> read some of her not YA stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't. I came across so I because oh confession. This is where the Venn diagram of our books meet, which is not good. <laughs> um, the, I just read a lot of. It, it's not even called YA anymore. It's called New Adult. Oh, new adult. Yes, it is Actually, a new. It's so let, let's it's a relatively new Elena, section. Elena does not read new adult, so this is uh, <laughs> this is actually not where we have a Venn diagram. This is new territory <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, this is apparently a new genre. It's basically romance novels, uh, standard romance novels, but with like it, they aim them at at the same at the YA audience. So it's like a. Yeah. 16 and up thing, which is hilarious because I'm like, okay, sure. This is fine for a 16 year old. The drinking and the boozing and the whoring, this is great. Well, what it uh, is, it's, it's kind of like the, the YA, like melodrama and emotional angst and like finding yourself with yeah. the sort of adult aspect of, no, they actually do like have sex on page sort of thing of like romance. So, yeah. You know. but Essentially, it's, yeah. I, I always thought it was more like college um early 20s type characters more than the actual teenagers but i guess that probably varies somewhat book to book and setting to setting so yeah so these the i picked these up just because i i thought the conceit of them was funny like they're it's supposed to go with the tarot deck okay and i was like okay this is this will be fun. And then I read it and I'm like, this is a little bluer than I thought it would be. And then suddenly <laughs> I read all five of them because they're kind of easy reads. And now I'm making you read them. <laughs> so enjoy. I plan to. I hope I do. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, you're going to be like, uh, Rachel. <laughs> uh, no, otherwise, it'll be Rachel. Rachel, let me give you some good fucking books. Okay. And yeah, the podcast <laughs> is about to go there. <laughs> So let's hope yeah. I enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we're gonna pay for these dips into. Uh, I, I don't even know. I don't want to like shit on like non literary stories because I I enjoy them and I read a lot of them. So I, yeah, I'm very I do too. Un- so let's um, yeah. Let's just but say it, that you know we're we're not wanting to lie about who we are and for as much literature as we read and as much philosophy as we might know as as nihilistic as we are. Sometimes we just like love stories. Mm-hmm. 
So there. Even the bad ones. <laughs> so talk about problematic faves. We'll get there. Don't worry. Don't worry. If I, oh, Hada will come back. He's coming back. Um, that's it though. Uh, I'm going to rate this as um, a six. Sorry, I'm not rating it any higher than that. But it's a six on the rabidity scale. I, w- I would I would say that that's that that's good. I mean, at least you you know respected the uh, where it's coming from and got a little bit out of it. And uh, I I honestly have no idea how I would have taken it if I read it strictly as an adult versus kind of reading it when I was you know at, as a teenager and hadn't been experienced exposed yet to a lot of alternative perspectives and ideas on gender and sexuality and humanity. So. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see being like really taken with this book if I if I was like a teenager for sure. Yeah, it was literally the heartbreak of my life that I didn't know a single fucking person who understood what I meant when I said this is Darazon and I totally <laughs> tried. No wonder everyone thought I was fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't get a date. <laughs> That's why I shouldn't say it. Well, I right. think that you're groshing. <laughs> thank you, Uma. <laughs> All right. And, uh, with I that, will talk to you later. Yep. We'll say adios. <laughs> Bye. Bye.